1: Hello and welcome to another Arsblog ArsCast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. We did it, folks. We're through. The interlull is behind us. It's done and dusted. That's it for international football between now and the end of the season. Of course, there's a World Cup to come in uh, in the summer, but that's a different thing. The final interruption to our season has happened, and the tedium and drudgery and banality of life without football during an interlol is now gone. Man, you know, we've been through some interlulls in our time. It's fair to say. There have been some that have been very trying. You know, you lose a game and you go through two weeks of introspection and navel-gazing and everything else. But this one... This one was uh, almost certainly the most boring interlol of all time. Now, I know the passing of time helps us gloss over previously boring interlulls. You know, you look back and it's like, well, was it that bad? Time has passed. Other things have happened. It distracts you from how present you were in the boredom at that particular time. But this one, oh, man, it was like the most boring film I've ever watched. And you have to watch it every day three times I'll have to think what the most boring film I've ever seen in my life is. Uh, oh, I know. I know. It's uh, The English Patient. That one with uh, Ray Fiennes and Kristen Scott Thomas and uh, I think Willem Dafoe is in it as well. That's a really boring film. I'm sorry if you like it, you know, and I'm not here to judge. I think it was very successful as well, wasn't it? Did it? Um, it might have won the Oscar. I'm just going to check it out here. Uh, the English Patient. I received 12 nominations at the 69th Academy Awards, winning nine, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress. Man, a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this one, it seems. They might think it's a cinematic masterpiece, slow and moody or whatever. I just thought it was really, really boring. And uh, that's what this interlal has been like, really, really boring. Because, you know, the games are just friendlies. There wasn't much Arsenal action. You know, when we used to go into an interlol, at least there was that fear we had where we were worried that our players might get injured. We don't even have that anymore. I don't know if that's because of the way the season has gone or just because of the games that were being played in this particular break, but even that wasn't there, which I don't know what that tells us. It tells us something. It tells us it was a boring interlol. The most exciting thing that happened was Mohamed Elneny signing a new contract. Big Mo. He looked very happy, didn't he? Almost as happy as he did in that tweet that he sent out where he's hanging out of a golf cart saying, Who will come with me to Russia? And he names all the uh, Arsenal players going to the World Cup and then goes, Sorry, my friend Sanchez, there is no place for you. And he puts out that little tongue-sticky-outy emoji like he's, you know, ha, Just winding you up here, mate. But really, you know, he's kind of sticking the knife in a bit and sticking it and just giving it a little twist around there and that makes Mohammed el Neni happy i'm not saying Mohammed el Neni is happy when he sticks knives in people literally i'm not saying he should be called Mohammed el stabby i'm not but the knife of words can cut more deeply than any highly sharpened filleting blade and that's what he did there so look we've got stuff coming up on this podcast it's uh you know, it's been quiet. All we can do is talk about stuff in general, which we're going to do now. And maybe a little bit later on, we'll look ahead to the game coming up on Sunday against Stoke at the Emirates. There's a there's a bit in that game. I think even if uh, our Premier League campaign is not quite derailed or irrelevant, I don't mean to say that. But, you know, we are where we are in the league and it's unlikely we're going to get much higher But there's still something to this game against Stoke, so we might talk about that in a little while. But now, let me uh, welcome our guest to the show this week. Delighted, as always, to have him back. It's the chief soccer correspondent of the New York Times. It's Rory Smith. Hi, Rory. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. I want to start by talking about Jack Wilshire, who was recalled to the England squad for the first time since 2016. We all know he's had some problems with injury, uh, a broken leg last season while at Bournemouth. Uh, and this was a chance for him to uh, to remind people, remind Gareth Southgate what he's capable of in midfield. Uh, he's been playing okay for Arsenal. He's been staying fit. He's been available. And I guess it's somewhat ironic that one of the only times he's been absent this season is when his chance came again for England.
2: Yeah, it's, it's poor timing for Wilshere. I know Southgate said that. Uh, it doesn't rule him out of contention for the World Cup. You know that he, he's still still in his thoughts. He, he, Southgate is a reasonable man. He will, he will. I, I'm, I have no doubt. Keep on tracking Wilshire. And to be honest, England's resources in midfield aren't especially rich. So it's it wouldn't take much from Wilshire, I think, to maybe force his way into the squad. You'd like to think that you know a decent run of six games from Jack Wilshire might count for a bit more than a decent run of six games from Jake Livermore. Mm. Uh, but obviously the timing's not not great and and the worst the worst thing from wilshire's point of view is that this was his chance to kind of not just show that he belongs there but to to maybe remind people that he is, when when fit and when in form, one of England's best midfielders, and not having that chance will be immensely frustrating for him.
1: Yeah, and it, it comes on top of what is uh, clearly an ongoing impasse between himself and Arsenal when it comes to his future and a new contract, and during the, uh, the international break, he, he gave, I think he was obviously talking while on England duty, and he uh, revealed that Arsene Wenger had said to him last summer when he'd come back from Bournemouth while he was recovering from that broken leg, that if he Found a new club he was he was free to go, basically assuming the deal was good enough for Arsenal to accept um, and when a manager says that to you, it obviously can spark one of two or maybe more reactions. But one is, okay. well, fair enough. He doesn't want me. I can go and I can play somewhere else. Or I can fight for my place and I can show him that I'm worthy of uh, being a player at Arsenal. And we seem to have fallen somewhere uh, in the middle now because we have a situation where Arsenal have offered him this contract a highly incentivized contract, we believe, where his basic salary would be lower than it is now, but based on uh, availability and appearances and all that kind of stuff, he could earn a little bit more. Uh, Arsene Wenger says now that he wants him to stay, he's pushing for him to stay, but doesn't seem willing to go any further in terms of the contract offer. And clearly, as it stands, the contract offer is not acceptable
2: to Jack Wilshire. So well, how do you view this situation? Well, I think that the, the contract thing... I'm a bit torn on, so it, it kind of makes sense to have incentivized contracts in it. I generally think that that it's odd that clubs don't kind of have a more standard don't issue incentivized contracts as standard more often if you see what i mean mm. that it, that makes sense to me rather than having these massively inflated basic wages but the the flip side to that is that over the last year in, in the year in between vendors saying you can go and and now not even the year the nine months i guess uh the, the climate has changed and what players are worth has changed. And we, we all have to accept that. And I think there'll be some, there'll be an interesting kind of dynamic this summer as clubs do all they can to resist the fact that everything has changed. So you, you, you now know that half-decent Premier League midfielders will cost 30, 35 million quid. That's just the that's the way of the world now. So I think in that climate, I can understand why Wilsh is saying, well, hang on these figures don't work for me i am worth more than this even if it needs to be incentivized i think that that, that also makes sense to me mm. um, th- th- my overall impression and we've talked about this before is just the weirdness of arsenal's contract situation i just find the whole thing continually astonishing it's it's fine to have a a, dis- a debate not necessarily a dispute with jack wilshire over over his contract but don't do it in march before it expires <laughs> it's it's astonishing that a club that for so long was so well run has done this again. And look, if Wilshere walks away on a free, there'll be plenty of Arsenal fans with good reason who say, well, look, he was never fit. You could never rely on him to, to, you know, to be the cornerstone of a team. There's maybe there's an element of he's not quite fulfilled the potential that he seemed to have when he was 18, that perhaps there's better options out there certainly more glamorous options out there that you're only losing maybe a squad player on a free transfer and that there's probably a kernel of truth in all of that and it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be kind of the moment that the arsenal empire fell or anything like that <laughs> but but at the same time and there's a there's a similar situation at liverpool with emre chan to lose a player on a free is depriving you a club potentially for both those players of what 20 25 30 million pounds now yeah that's that is a a massively responsible thing to do. It's incredibly careless. So do you think it's
1: it's a, a case that perhaps uh, whether Arsenal really see Jack Wilshire as part of their long-term future, by making an investment in him now, in this season, giving him more of what he wants in order to sign a new deal, you then have the potential to recoup, let's say you outlay five or six million pounds on Jack Wilshire's wages, whatever it might be during the course of this 12 months, but then you could recoup 25 million, which will help you invest in a player and, in the current market given the uh, the prices that players are going for
2: yeah I think that last summer that would have been the play you'd give Wilshire even if it's just an extension on his current terms because of the injury and does he you know he'd just come back from loan, so it's fair enough for, for him to sort of be told look you now have to prove you can do it at Arsenal but we obviously don't want you to leave so wouldn't it give you a two- year extension on the same money or maybe slightly better uh, and and you know let's see where it goes and then it, it may it would have been that come this summer. Vendor whoever's in charge looked at it and thought this isn't working. Let's sell him. And because Jack Wilshere is English, that more than cancels out the, um, the 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 doubts you'd have over the injuries. So you would be able to get a decent fee for him. The problem is now you can't really do that because it, it would become painfully obvious to Wilshere what's what's happening, and he will know. Yeah. That if he winds his contract down and just walks away, he will win financially because someone, probably quite a big club in in England, would would look at Wilshire and think, well, look, he might not start for us, but we know when he's fit, he's a good player. There'll be coaches that are looking at him and thinking, I can get more out of him than than Wenger has, as we've seen with Oxlade-Chamberlain. The There'll be clubs in Europe who are all looking at it, and they will all pay Jack Wilshire a lot of money because he's on a free transfer. So a good proportion of the money that they would have had to outlay to sign him from Arsenal under contract mm. will be turned into a signing on bonus. Can- and Wilshere won't lose because... Yeah. Because he will, someone will pick him up. He's for all the injuries, for all the kind of that sense of he's not quite what what everyone thought he would be. He's still a a very talented English midfielder who's who's not in his late in his late twenties and early thirties. He he can command an awful lot of money in this market. The people that lose are Arsenal because they potentially will see an asset of some value how much value it depends on your personal taste I guess but an asset of some value walk away for nothing
1: yeah I mean can we read anything into the fact that Arsenal seem to be unbending on this at this moment in time is the offer being made to Jack Wilshire them perhaps signaling that they don't necessarily trust his body to to get through the next couple of seasons or to uh, you know is, is that a factor do you think in the offer that Arsenal are making given that probably they and Jack Wilshire more than anybody else understand and know what he's capable of and what he might be capable of in two years time, for example, what the wear and tear of these injuries, how it might affect him at 28, 29.
2: Yeah, that's it. That seems a reasonable conclusion. I suppose it's kind of the DRB effect, isn't it? You don't want to keep giving someone mm. a, a full contract when you're, you genuinely can't be certain they will ever be fit or ever be fit in Wilshere's case for a long period of time. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's probably an element of that. I, I, I wonder whether the other part of it is that they feel that they are Wilshire's best bet. So they, they will feel that they are negotiating from a position of strength. <laughs> and it might be that, I mean, Wil, Wilshire's never made any secret of the fact that you know, he wants to be at Arsenal. Yep. He's, he kind of identifies with the club, which is wonderful and fans love it, but it's not a brilliant negotiating tactic Um it may be that, they, that Arsenal have got information that they know that maybe the other members of the top of the top six aren't particularly keen on him at, the, at this point, but that that can change. Um, it might be that they think that he won't go abroad. I know that you know he's been linked with Milan before and what have you, but they might think that the information they have or the, just their knowledge of what what he's like might make them think mm, I'm not sure he'll do that. Mm. And as you say, there may well be part of them thinking, well, look, we we can't afford to meet to meet his terms because we don't think he will prove value for money because of the, his physical condition and potential long-term effects from the injuries. All of that stuff will be being taken into consideration.
3: It,
2: the, the key thing, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but the key thing will be the, the distance between what Wilshire wants and what Arsenal are offering. So if, if that is 50 grand a week, mm. then you can totally understand Arsenal's position. If it's 15-20, I wonder whether you just you, you buckle... You give you give him what he wants, and you make sure that you've protected your asset. That would be the way I'd approach it. And and you you effectively invest a little bit of money to recoup more, even if it's this summer, next January, whenever, whenever you decide this is this is not working out anymore.
3: Yeah,
2: um, the fact that they won't meet his terms does make you think he is not, regardless of the circumstance, he is clearly not someone that they are thinking is absolutely essential. To To whatever arsenal will be going forward that is that that is obvious that they're not that's not the way you try and get one of your big stars to sign a new contract is by sort of under clubbing them no. and then, then refusing to <laughs> refusing to haggle
1: yeah I mean it must be you know as a as a player and as a professional as a senior professional now at Arsenal you know when you see everybody around you getting pay rises and you are being asked to take a pay cut i you know it probably does have an effect on how you feel the club values you or or your your contribution. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a difficult situation. I mean, we had another uh, contract situation, not even a situation, but resolved. Mohamed Neni signed a new deal with Arsenal during the international break. He was a player that Arsenal were willing to let go Last summer, Leicester were interested. Arsenal gave him permission to talk. Uh, He refused, decided to stay and fight for his place. Again, something that fans really like. But we have that situation where our club is telling a player, well, look, if you want, you can go. Uh, And that has to have an effect on... um, the player, but also it, it it speaks to somewhat muddled thinking, doesn't it, in terms of Arsenal, in terms of the way they're building or managing the squad or planning the squad. Jack Wilshire, one moment is told, you can go, and then we're trying to get him to sign a new deal. Mohamed Elneny, well, you're surplus to requirements if the right money comes in, but if you stay, okay, now he's got a new deal. Um, I'm not quite sure what exactly to make of it uh, or what the plan or strategy might be
2: no i think that's absolutely fair it, it, it thinking is the is the is the best way of putting it that it does suggest that there's a lot of flip flopping and kind of people changing their minds with Nenny, i i guess you, to as th- i don't know to play devil's advocate a little bit maybe you you looked at it and think well he's not really doing any great harm giving him a new deal probably won't cost cost arsenal a huge amount of money compared to the amount of money that they have available mm they can still sell him in the summer and ask for a decent fee it kind of protects it he deserve, you know he he, he has buck, you know he, he's buckled down his fought for his place he's done what he's meant to do he's kind of fulfilled his part of the bargain but I think the fact that that Arsenal were telling so many players they could go last summer at a point when they were already losing one or two is is yeah bizarre and again it's, it, it, at the risk of repeating myself I just I find the way that Arsenal have kind of approached all of these problems in the last two or three years Really, really strange. I, do, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what the long-term plan is. If you, if you tell players they can go, then you are again to sort of think about the way the way that deals work. That then gets passed on to the club that might want to buy them. Mm-hmm. So Leicester would have been told, "Well, look, Arsenal said El Neni can go." That doesn't make Leicester think, "Oh, we would better really put in a big offer," because otherwise look, they won't talk to us. That makes Leicester think, "Well." let's see what we can get him for and mm-hmm. it's the same with wilshire and you know if you're then potentially losing wilshire on a free there comes a point where you think well you don't have to replace all these players and mohamed Almeni is not is not you know Jerson, but he um <laughs> he is he is a a, a good solid reliable Premier yeah. League midfielder. he he might not, he might not be starting quality for arsenal but he'd get into he'd start for most of the rest of the league. If you take the top six out of it, Elneny would be a first-choice midfielder for most of the rest of the league. And that gives him a value. So why are you telling him he can go? If if you want to sell him, surely there is a cleverer way of of getting into that situation without you revealing to Elneny that A, that he's allowed to go, which means that he, he can then negotiate with clubs and say, look, Arsenal said it's all right for me to leave, so let's see if we can do a deal. But also it means that if a deal doesn't get done, then you've got to reincorporate him back into the squad. And it, it's obviously been with El it's been the case that he's he's not had a problem doing that particularly, but with other players it might
1: be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, another player might take umbrage at the fact that they're being allowed go and might sulk to Elmeny's credit. He seems a very professional guy, hardworking. He's come in, he's been pretty reliable since he joined the club. You know, he's never going to be a 9 or 10 out of 10 player, but generally he's about 7 out of 10 and that's, you know, that's not bad and it's not a bad thing for a a squad player. I think one of the curious things for me was when he put up the uh, pictures of his contract negotiation, there was a picture of him with Arsene Wenger, as you might expect, manager and player. But then there was also a picture of him with a guy called Huss Fami, who is the mm. the new contract guru at Arsenal. He was brought in from Team Sky. Um, and when we look at what's happening in the background. Um, behind Arsene Wenger, we had Raul San- Sanye appearing at a fans forum event with Ivan Gazidis. Sven Mislintat's name is now common knowledge to everybody. We saw him and Ivan Gazidis in Dortmund trying to do the Aubameyang deal. Uh, these guys in the background are beginning to make a bit of a... Play or becoming more visible in a way that hasn't been the case at Arsenal for quite some time. Certainly during the last ten years of Arsene Wenger's reign, there hasn't been that that. Well, a there hasn't been those people there really. But um, it, it feels a little bit like the sands of power are shifting.
2: Yeah, and I think there's there's an, an element of um, of iconography about it, isn't there? It's it's, yeah. it's being done publicly, deliberately, to project this sense that that arsenal is that this summer of change that disease has promised has has not been a a, an illusion that there is there's an element of of things happening behind the scenes so even if it appears to the fans and arsenal will be well aware that there's disgruntlement among the fans so even if Vendor's still there and, and that isn't changing there'll be a sense there's clearly a sense that behind him things are happening and arsenal will want to make that clear to people that we've got this guy from barcelona we've brought this guy in from Team Sky, we have the, the chief scout from Borussia Dortmund, that that is a sign of progress. Still got, we're still yet to see really how all of those people work together and how Wenger or whoever whoever else replaces him fits into that model. It may work, it may not do. The people involved have all got tremendous pedigree, which is a, largely a good thing. It, it, the flip side would be that it maybe comes with a bit of ego, which is possibly a bad thing. But you know, it, it could well be that Arsenal are or they have laid the, the groundwork now for that transition of power from kind of vendor-only model to a much more modern yeah, uh, yeah, collective model. And I think the fact that they want to tell the fans that this has all happened is totally understandable and actually quite clever, because there would be... It has, the impression I get, as a, as a neutral, um, obviously a, an agenda-ridden journalist, but broad, <laughs> broadly a neutral, but the impression I get is that that, that is something that fans are taking solace from. The fact that Sanyei is there, the fact that Mislintat's there, it suggests that things are being put in place to make sure that Arsenal keeps running smoothly when Vendor goes, whether that's this summer, next summer, or kind of Mm 21-27 after the earth is consumed in in a big (laughs) ball of fire.
1: Do you you, uh, worry? I mean, it's something that occurs to me, and I'm not sure if it's just me being somewhat paranoid or... But, you know, football clubs are big operations nowadays, big businesses. Uh, there are people in there, and you mentioned the word ego a few minutes ago. We like to think that Mislinta and Sanyehi and Gazidis uh, and everybody else is going to be working in perfect harmony behind the scenes. But what's about to happen at Arsenal, whether it's this summer or whether it's next summer, but, you know, inevitably when Arsene Wenger leaves, there is a power uh, chasm I think is probably the right word mm-hmm. and that when you have these kind of characters at the club or at a club I'm not even saying it's just Arsenal it, it strikes me that maybe not everybody will work in harmony to, uh, to the benefit of the club but might see this as an opportunity to kind of stake their own claim in terms of taking some of that power and that influence at a football club.
2: Yeah, you've seen. That, I mean, fortunately for Arsenal, or unfortunately, I guess we we have the the example of Manchester United, which kind of was a was a, is a case study in everything not to do when when you lose a a sort of iconic manager. Arsenal, I think, have learned from that, and that's why they're getting these positions appointed now. And I think mm. that that's really praiseworthy and that's to be encouraged. The part of the problem is you can't be sure what the chemistry between those people will be like when you meet them and but the crucial thing and i'm going to sound like an awful like management consultant jarred and ridden idiot now but the the crucial thing there is, i guess is the leadership and that that comes down to to jezidis and further above that that they need to make sure that they're telling mislintat and sanyehi and Fami and whoever else comes in exactly what their responsibilities are you need strong leadership and as a rule in football you don't get strong leadership because they are, they are, they kind of simultaneously big businesses and quite small businesses. Football clubs, so mm. you know they, they don't. Um, the vast majority of them, the turnover is the same as like a regional supermarket. So they're not, they're not <laughs> kind of these FTSE one hundred companies that we all think of them as. Yeah. They, they have a much greater projection than, than they do a revenue. But the they are playgrounds for people who, like you say, want power for ego. They tend to be people in positions who are good at one aspect of a job, but not necess- they're, 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 really, they're really susceptible to overpromotion. Football, football clubs behind the scenes. And then you get other networks in of, of people that people know and agents and, and all that sort of stuff. So they're not necessarily the most professional environments as a rule. Um, I'm not saying this is true of Arsenal, but as a rule they're, they're not the most professional environments. And what you tend to get is a lot of confusion and having a manager like Wenger or Ferguson hides that because ultimately they are in charge. You know, Wenger. There's people at Arsenal who aren't footballers who call Wenger boss. Yeah, who strictly speaking are his superiors, and and yet he's he's it's his club. It's, it's the, the club that's cast in his image. He has the final say on everything. It's the same at United. Ferguson. Everything kind of went through Ferguson. And he Ferguson played that much more cleverly than as Ferguson basically stopped coaching and focused on being more of a director of football in the, in the later years, and that worked really well. But then, obviously, he goes all that all that crumbles, and lots of people start scrambling for position, and no one really knows what they're doing because they've never it's never existed in a world where Ferguson's not there to tell them if it's right or wrong. Yeah. and it'll be the same with Arsenal, to to some extent. And the yeah the problem is how does how do the individuals the individual characters you've got in place. When that transition comes, how do they respond? Do they know what they're meant to be doing, or have they been given promises that mean, you know, the day that Vender leaves, does San Yehi, Dziedus, whoever the coach is, do they all sort of suddenly wake up and think, well, from what they said to me, I'm now the guy in charge, and that's when you have problems. Yeah. If, if they've all been told this is what's going to happen, this is what your this is your lane, stay in it, then then it should be okay. Um, if they haven't, then there's, then there tend to be issues.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a challenge, certainly. And uh, I think Arsenal fans can take solace in the fact that Josh Kroenke has been spending some time in in London to figure out how football clubs work. So I think there's the uh, there's the leadership um, and the guy who will keep everything glued together when the time comes. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, sorry, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about Arsene Wenger now because we're we're into this final stretch of the season. It's uninterrupted. All the international breaks are gone. And there is real clarity now about what Arsenal have left to play for this season. The Premier League, 13 points behind fourth means finishing in the top four is little short of impossible. It would be miraculous at this point for something like that to happen. Uh, The Europa League is where it's at. Um, The first question I have, and I'll come to to Arsene Wenger personally um, and his potential future, But the question I have first is how does he deal with the balance of Europa League versus Premier League, keeping key players fresh and ready, doing the Thursday to Sunday thing perhaps, and also ensuring that his team plays with some measure of confidence and some measure of rhythm and some momentum because we understand those things are, are really important for a, a football team and a, a football club that if you're constantly firefighting, if you're going from a bad result and you've got to refocus on the one tournament that means something, you're, you know, it's doable, but it is better if you can string a lot of good results together. So I think that's the, the first question I have about Arsene Wenger is how is he going to manage that?
2: Yeah, I think that's harder than, than people think it is, just the, the 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 kind of trite answer is to say, well, you, you you jack in the league, you put it you put out kind of Abamian and ten others in the league because yeah. he obviously can't play in the Europa League and you say, Yeah, you're right. I mean, realistically, Arsenal need what they need Liverpool to drop like thirteen points out of twenty four. Yeah. And they need Spurs to drop eleven points out of twenty four, or maybe out of twenty seven and Chelsea to do something similar. It, it, you might, one of those things might happen. While winning thing, like, all their games. Yeah, exactly. And there's, So you need kind of four things to happen that are all quite unlikely. One of them might happen. Arsenal might win all their games, or Liverpool might collapse. But if Liverpool collapse, Spurs and Chelsea will take, take their, those places. So it's... Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the top four has probably gone for this year. Um, you do have to focus on the Europa League, but it's it's easier said than done. Just on, I don't think it is just a matter of saying that like we're going to put out the reserves in the in the Premier League, especially at Arsenal, where where bad results tend to create a negative sort of toxic environment among the fans, and mm. that doesn't that doesn't go away on it just because it's a Thursday night. So. It, You know, it it could well be. You know, Arsenal put out the reserves in the league, then lose a couple of games. Just the reserves aren't that interested, Um, and you're playing teams fighting relegation or whatever. And then it comes to the the home leg of a semi-final, and the fans have spent the previous two weeks in in a state of absolute fury because you know Arsenal are slipping closer to Burnley than they are getting closer to Chelsea.
3: Yeah,
2: you can't just turn that off. And then what if they concede? You know, concede an early goal? That's when you need the fans, and but the fans maybe aren't of a mind to do that. So I don't think Vender can do what Mourinho did last year and just jack in the lead. I don't I don't think that'll work for him. No. I think he has to find a balance between giving players a rest that they need, but maintaining a relatively stable core of his team so that there is that rhythm, there is that momentum. And finding a system that he thinks can kind of work relatively well in the Premier League. Because if they you know if they do lose a couple of games, it's not a disaster. But build towards those Thursday nights, and then maybe once you get to the semis, maybe that's when you say, "Okay, we can't take any risks." Erzl doesn't play in the Premier League. Uh, the you know Kishelny doesn't play in the Premier League. Ramsey doesn't play in the Premier League. We're going to rest three or four key players and put all of our eggs in the Europa League basket, and really hope that Atletico Madrid get knocked out by somebody else.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's a fair approach, um, and I, I hadn't considered the. The overall environment or atmosphere that a few defeats in the Premier League might uh, bring about, um, and the way that fans might react for for the Europa League games, even being up for it and knowing what's at stake. But I mean, we we have a lot at stake. There is a lot at stake both for the club and for Arsene Wenger. So uh, if Arsenal were to go the distance and win. Uh, he can turn around in the summer and say, look, I've delivered a European trophy, which is only the third in the club's history. I've got us back into the Champions League. And it would be uh, very unlike the man who makes the decisions at Arsenal uh, at that point, Stan Kroenke. Uh, it seems unlikely to me that he would uh, he would call time on Arsene Wenger having delivered what he delivered. On the other hand, though, if Arsenal,
2: yeah, the, 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 but you—you tried to say the same about any, about any of the FA Cups that they were all the perfect chance for Wenger to go, and he didn't. So I think from this from from this point on, we probably have to assume that that Cronky will not get rid of Wenger. That it will, the will leave when Wenger decides that his time is up.
1: But do you think do you, do you not think that if, for example, Arsenal don't win the Europa League, and if the Premier League season. Continues in the somewhat indifferent way it has done, and Arsenal end up 30 odd points behind the league winners, and they end up, you know, 13, 16 points behind the top four. Is that not? Does that not make his position pretty much untenable? Because the reaction of fans, the desire for change, and the the very obvious need for change would have to spark some kind of reaction from from Kroenke.
2: In most cases, I'd say yes. Yeah, absolutely. At, at a normal club, right? Yeah. At, in any other circumstance, you'd be like, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, if, it depends to an extent. If, if Arsenal lose the Europa League final in the last minute to an own goal or something, then <laughs> then maybe it's it's a bit different to getting beaten by CSKA Moscow in the final. Sure. Um, so there's there's little caveats like that, but generally, yeah, if Arsenal finish you know way off fourth, or the, the, you know the distance to City will be enormous, obviously. Um, in terms of first, if they don't win the Europa League, logically, yeah, you would say, right, Wenger missed out on the Champions League. He lost the Champions League consistent th- that street last year. It's now that they are, if anything, further away from qualifying from the champion- for the Champions League through the lead now than they were 12 months ago. It's drawing in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. It's time for a change. Yes, l- logically, that is absolutely the correct way to think. But I I wouldn't put any money on that being what happens at Arsenal. I I genuinely don't know who has the nerve at Arsenal to make the call that Wenger goes other than Wenger. And and with Wenger, it doesn't seem to be the case that he thinks his time is up. I I thought he'd go after the 2014 FA Cup. And I thought he might go after the FA Cup last year because it just felt like, if if that was me, I'd, I'd want to go out on a high, I'd want to... People to think, well, you know, the last memory to be litting a trophy and a packed stadium and a bus, open bus tour. I, I, I'd cash in my chips at that point. But Wenger clearly doesn't think like that, which may, may, may well be why he's much more successful than I am. Well, yeah, I mean, um, he did
1: he did, he did uh, speak about that during the international break, and he said, I'm not concerned about what my image is. I don't worry about, you know, about going out on a high. That's not really, he says, where his focus is. His focus is on doing
2: his job and blah, blah. I mean... But he said, Vendor says some weird stuff over international breaks. I, I, yeah. I increasingly think he's doing it to kind of laugh at us, because <laughs> the, the age discrimination thing, which is the, the exact opposite of what is true, and it cannot be what he thinks. He just occasionally, I'm sure he just thinks, right, it's international break, it's a bit boring, everyone's dead quiet, maybe <laughs> I'll give Crossy something to do. I don't know, I just sort of... I, yeah, I, I'm sure that vendors somewhere is thinking, no, these idiots will write anything, whatever I say. Yeah. He, he must be concerned. It would be. It would be... Unhuman not to worry about the way you're projected and the way you're portrayed, particularly given the situation he's in and the the legacy that he's going to leave. What, what you know, whenever he goes and wh- however it is, he we're all worried about that. It's I know it's not sort of it's not cool to admit it, but of course you're worried by what people think think about you. It would be weird not to be, and I'm sure it's something that he must. It might not be the defining factor, but it, it must be something that he considered without a shadow of a doubt. And if you look at the way that he played the. The contract thing—I forget which one it was. Was it last year or the one? Any of the seven ones previously? <laughs> it
1: was probably last year's.
2: I think it was last year. You know, when he wouldn't—he wouldn't commit to it—and there was the, the question mark. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was—that was a man leaving his options open to see how it went, and and part of that must have been well, if I, you know, if I get us into the top four and if we win, win the FA Cup, then I, I can maybe walk out with my streak intact, and and that's how to do it. I think the the, the crucial thing with Vender is. That he doesn't want to stop. Ultimately, he doesn't. He whether it's a lot of people around him sort of say, "Oh, it's fear of, of what he'll do without football." But I think he's he's so wedded to his ideas. He's so convinced that that the way he the way he sees the game is is the right way to see the game, and he's so adamant that he can make it work. I don't think he has any, any appetite to stop. And in that situation, because there's no one above him who you you would really back to say, "Actually, do you know what? We have to call time on this." I just don't know where where or when it stops. The, the, only, the only thing that makes me think it might be this summer is that that two-year contract just struck me as a really, as a really obvious but quite clever way of, of making sure the conversation doesn't, about his future didn't dominate the season all yeah. the way through. Yeah, And I do wonder whether they gave him a two-year contract on the understanding that, look, Asen, you've got one year left. I, I would like to think, and I like Venga. I've never been kind of rabidly Morganite Wenger out, More than that. And I think he kind of deserves I don't want to annoy anybody, but I think that we we are as football fans, and I'm not an Arsenal fan, but as football fans, we are all too short termist and we we forget too easily what people have done. And I think Vender deserves deserves a lot more indulgence than than he has sometimes been given. But at the same time, it has clearly gone on too long and it is clearly no longer sustainable. I just worry that I'm, I don't know who makes that decision because I don't, I don't think Vendor wants to.
1: No, he certainly doesn't want to. And uh, maybe there was something in the what Ivan Gazeta said in that fans forum meeting with uh, with Raul Sanyehi where he, he mentioned very specifically that he had overseen eight managerial changes at Barcelona. Uh, which is quite something considering there's nobody on the Arsenal board who's, uh, who's overseen one, uh, at mm. this moment. It's apart from Ken Fryer, who's been there a very long time, obviously, but, uh, that, that's sort of a decision that's out of his hands. Anyway, it's a bit like, uh, Le Mal said. It's a never-ending story with Arsenal <laughs> and Arsene Wenger. We better leave it there. Rory, thanks a million. Great to talk to
2: you. Always a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much indeed to Rory Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at Rory Smith. That is at Rory Smith. And you can read his stuff in the New York Times. Now, our first game back after the long, tedious English patient interlull is, of course, Stoke City at home. And, you know, this season has not been good from a Premier League perspective, from an Arsenal point of view, of course. It's been poor. We've underachieved. We've played poorly. Our form has been, well, I don't know how you would describe it, but... It would be fair to say that we've been inconsistent. We haven't played anywhere near as well as we should have. Our results have been below par. We've been the masters of our own downfall on many occasions, and we sit, as it stands, 13 points away from fourth place, where Tottenham are in fourth. And we really have no chance of catching them. We're sort of closer to Everton and Burnley than we are to the top five you know, it's supposed to be a top six, but, you know, we're kind of out of it. And I don't mean the kind of out of it when you've smoked a big doobie or when you've taken a little piece of blotting paper and 20 minutes later the world looks very strange indeed and after a few hours you understand the true purpose, the real purpose of the moon. Forget the tides and all that shit. The moon is there for something completely different. You know what it is. You, you understand it on a very basic, almost instinctual level. You wonder, how is it? I've looked at the moon all these years and I've missed this. And why does nobody else understand what the moon is about? I don't mean that kind of out of it. I just mean we've got some distance between us and them. And it makes what remains of our Premier League campaign a bit uninteresting because we're unlikely to move in any significant way between now and the end of the season. If we go below sixth, I'd be surprised. And if we go above sixth... I would be surprised. And there is nothing to finishing sixth, more Europa League football, which we might get anyway, or we could avoid, of course, with uh, Europa League success, which is a slim possibility, but it is still a possibility. So what do you do? I know lots of people now are just not going to the games because they're fed up and they're just disillusioned to the point where they're not going to games that they've got tickets for. And that's fine. You know, I respect that. You make your decision. Everyone has to make the decision that works for them. But for me, I need something still from this season from this premier league season and if you look at the premier league table right now which i should have done before i said this bit because i could get it wrong and here i am desperately clicking around to get the premier league table up and i'm clicking here and talking naturally as if it's a kind of segue into what i was just about to say yes i was right i should have just gone with my my instincts stoke are second from bottom second from bottom 31 games they've played. They've seven games remaining. They've a goal difference of minus 29. Now, we've had our run-ins with Stoke down the years. We've had our issues. There was that time when Ryan Shawcross broke Aaron Ramsey's leg. You remember. And then ever since, when Aaron Ramsey goes back to Stoke, they make ambulance noises at him, or they... They sing songs about him breaking his leg as if it was something he did to himself to annoy them or to trick the referee. Referee, look at him. He's broken his own leg just to get Ryan Shawcross sent off. What a sneaky Welsh bastard he is. We're going to hold it against him for the rest of his life. Tony Pulis, Fabregas with a sh- you remember. We've had our moments. We've had our issues, particularly away from home. At the Emirates, not so much, but away from home, yes, So, if we, as a football club, as a team, could get it together on Sunday to give them a pasting, to take three points off them, all the while hoping that who's above them, West Ham, Crystal Palace, Huddersfield, Swansea, Newcastle, uh, Southampton, let's hope all those teams win, leaving Stoke further adrift, more and more in danger of relegation. If we could win by a few goals, make the goal difference a bit more of a problem for them. You know, I'm I'm into that. It's not where my expectations were at the start of the season, I'll be brutally honest. That ridiculously optimistic part of me was hoping that maybe, just maybe, 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 you never know. Maybe we could be there or thereabouts when it comes to the title. I know you're laughing, it's fine, but it's just a part of me. At the start of every season, I hope that that's what's going to happen. That's what I hoped. You can't blame me for having hopes. But I didn't think it was going to be quite this bad. And in order to take some enjoyment from what's left, it's got to be at the expense of others. That's all it can be. Beat Stoke. Somehow beat Manchester United at Old Trafford, despite our terrible away record, in a way that drives Jose Mourinho out of his mind with anger and frustration. Like the the worst refereeing decision you've ever seen in your life. Something like that. Or a blatant piece of cheating by an Arsenal player that goes unseen. And Arsene Wenger will say afterwards, I didn't see it. And Mourinho will go off his rocker, please. Something like that. That's all I've got. That's all. I'm just not much to ask for now, is it? Having endured what's uh, preceded this. just these, Just those two things. A spanking of Stoke and... And something that makes Jose Mourinho lose his mind even more than he already has. I'm not asking for the world. I'm not asking for a million dollars. I'm not asking for a big chunk of gold bullion. Just a couple of things. So come on, Arsenal. You've had a couple of weeks of rest and recuperation. Get your shit together. And, you know, fuck some cunts up. That's all. That's all. So hopefully we can do that on Sunday we will have a live blog. We'll have all the uh, post-match and pre-match and everything else that you need on Arse blog News. I should also point you in the direction of our Patreon site, which is patreon.com forward slash blog For a five or a month, you get some extra stuff, extra podcasts. Yesterday, Tim Stillman wrote a really great piece about 11 games that have changed Arsene Wenger's perspective, his tactics, his formation, the way he uses his team. Next week... We've got a brand new episode of My Arse, which is the podcast where I talk to somebody about their life and times as an Arsenal fan. I've already spoken to Bernard Butler and also to Tim Wheeler from Ash. My guest next week is actor. You might know him from such films as like Fever Pitch. It's Mark Strong. So you'll be able to listen to that next week if you sign up to uh, to our Patreon. He tells a really amazing story about Alan Smith. Well, it's not really about Alan Smith, but somehow Alan Smith gets brought into it. Loads of great Arsenal chat. You can get that by subscribing at patreon.com forward slash arsplog. It's a fiver a month, five euros a month, which is less than five pounds. It's about six dollars. You do have to pay VAT if you're in the EU, but that's uh, beyond our control. It is what it is. Uh, but it's well worth it, I think, and your support helps us do all the other stuff on the site, so check it out, patreon.com forward slash arseblog, there's loads of stuff there, there's more stuff coming, and uh, and that's that, so look, James and I will be here with an Arsecast Extra on Monday, hopefully a very uh, enjoyable, happy, goodly Arsecast Extra, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that, in the meantime, have yourselves a very happy Easter, if that's your thing, don't eat too much chocolate, don't do too much Easter Acid, Although, you know, if you do want to find out the true meaning of the moon, it uh, could be worth considering. No, I'm not, I'm not advocating that. Have a good one. I'll catch you on the next uh, podcast. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
3: Welcome back to God FM, playing the tunes you love 24-6. That's right, because on the seventh day, we rest like the good Lord intended. We've been asking you if you'd like a request to uh, give us a shout out on our social media, the old Facebook and the Twitter. So let's have a look at the Facebook here and see if we can read out a few of the messages. Uh, No, we can't read that one. No. No, we can't read that one either. I don't even know what that means. I think it's a part of the human anatomy, but I never heard it called that before. That, no, I don't know what language that is. Let's try the Twitter instead. We've got a few tweets, a few ats in our mentions here. The first one comes from J826972, and he says... I probably should have read the message before I read out his username. Jay, you should seek help immediately. That's no way to talk to anybody. Least of all a stranger who you don't even know, and science has proven beyond a doubt that the earth is indeed round. Okay, we have one here from Arsenal fan two million and six underscore three seven A two nine underscore. And he says, Will you play that one by that fella from Kajagoogoo? Because life as an Arsenal fan feels like it is a never-ending story. And isn't that true? Don't all of us feel like at this moment in time we're flying around sitting on the back of a big friendly dragon dog type of yoke? Ah, he was a lovely fella, wasn't he? Shame about the old dragon years being like dog years. They grow up so fast and... You know, with the big chests and everything, they, they tend to die quite young. You know, the, the torsion and all that, particularly if they eat dry food a lot. You know, that's why when they eat a sheep and they don't crisp it up, it can be quite detrimental to their health. Well, here's the tune for you, my friend. Arsenal fan, two million and six underscore three seven a uh, two nine underscore Stay with us, we've got some music from the inaccurately named Heaven 17 coming up. We all know there's only one heaven and uh, you're probably not getting into it.